The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. From the scenic city in Chattanooga, Tennessee, USA, welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast. Now heard in over 100 countries around the world. Glad you are here. I'm thrilled that you have joined this global tribe and what really has become a, a movement spreading across the world. So if you're new to the podcast, each show we hold space for deep and meaningful conversations with the world's foremost thought leaders, executives, scholars, and experts to discuss the powerhouse business principles of love and care that define today's best leaders and company cultures. We do it so that we can help you transform your workplaces, create business impact, generate profits, and make the world a better place. Love in Action, in the context of today's episode, is about being a likable leader. Now, let me give you some context. There's this old adage that says leadership is not about being liked, but rather only about performance, respect, and outcomes. So if you think of yourself as a, a strong or a smart leader, then the question becomes, well, do people actually like you? My distinguished guest today sets the record straight about whether being a likable leader actually matters and does it correlate to being an effective leader that gets results. Charn McAllister joins us today. Charn is an assistant professor of management and organizational development at the Damore McKim School of Business at Northeastern University where he has taught courses on leadership negotiations and organizational behavior. Charn's research focused specifically on navigating office politics and both supervisor and subordinate deviance in the workplace. And he holds a PhD from Florida State University. And prior to joining Northeastern in 2017, Charn spent nearly a decade serving in the U.S. Army. During this time, he served in the Air Cavalry as a Kiowa warrior, and I hope I said that right, Charn, as a helicopter pilot and troop commander during two deployments in Iraq. Pleasure to have you here, Charn. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, and thank you for your service to this country. Hey, thank you very much for having me today, Marcel. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. So we always start with a gratitude moment. And, you know, we're in tough times right now with this whole coronavirus situation. So now a day is what makes you smile when you get up in the morning? You know, I, I think obviously with the coronavirus going on, it's my my family is, is healthy across the board. And to all the parents out there, I have mm. a care for my three-year-old. Um, and so that's very helpful for my wife and I to be able to continue uh, doing what we love, which is our research and teaching, and uh, have him taken care of each day as well and enjoy the day. That's great. That's great. So I always like to get into my guests' really purpose for the work they do. So in Simon Sinek fashion, what would you say is your why? For me, 
a lot of people argue that when academics are creating articles and doing all this research, a lot of it is that ivory tower type product. But I'm very hopeful that the research that I'm producing, whether it be through the HBR we're going to talk about today, the Harvard Business Review, or some of the more practical research will actually make employees' lives better on a day-to-day basis, whether it's leaders realizing that they can be liked, it's not just about being a hard-nosed leader the whole time, or about how we can you know, help employees' well-being in the workplace. That's what gets me up in the morning. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And uh, so I stumbled into you, speaking of that HBR article, you co-wrote this article with your research colleagues, Sherry Moss and Mark Martinko. And the article is entitled, Why Likeable Leaders Seem More Effective. If you guys want to check it out, that's the title of it on HBR. So it captured my attention, Charn, but you have a story years before your research ever began that took place in Kuwait, before you deployed into battle uh, in Iraq as a, as a helicopter pilot. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, I was you know, a very young lieutenant. It was my first deployment. I had finished flight school um, really only about half a year before I deployed to Iraq. Um, and so when you go to Iraq, you stop in Kuwait at first, and you finish a lot of mandatory training, first aid training, um, more live fire exercises, things like that. Um, and when I was walking towards the airfield, I saw a sign, a uh, big white sign with large black letters that said, we need leadership, not likership. And it was, it's a very army uh, sign. I mean, that's definitely, for those people who serve in the military, you know, that's, that's something the army would say. But I was concerned because for me, being a good leader didn't, was not the absence of being liked, right? That you could do both. And I understood what the army was saying is that it's, it's easier to be a leader. And I'm sure we'll talk about this um, and not worry about the liking part. But to me, there's this, this idea that really, really good leadership involves being liked as well and not trying to get uh, liked by your subordinates, but rather treating them with respect and being a good person, which leads to, to being liked. Yeah. Okay. So then flash forward, you decide you wanted to do some research on this and kind of, uh, you know, maybe test the assumptions that perhaps leadership is about being liked. So what did you set out to find out? Well, right now there are a multitude of leadership theories that are being studied by researchers across the world. I mean, when you look at it, there's transformational leadership, transactional leadership, authentic leadership, servant leadership, and it goes on and on and on. And in many ways, it, it can be jarring to the, to the everyday leader to be like, well, I have to do this this day, but then the next day, this is the best form of leadership. And what we were wondering is there must be some overlap or some shared qualities of all these different leadership styles because a servant leader isn't exclusively a servant leader. There's also some transformational leadership in there as well. But we thought that perhaps there was something that undercut every leadership theory across the board. And to us, that was the possibility that if subordinates like their leaders, just simply that they like them, they're going to rate them as better leaders. And so we want to find out if that was something that undercut every leadership theory out there, essentially. Okay. Okay. So then you did the research and what did the research involve? Who did you reach out to and what was the population for the research? So this was a fairly extensive research project. Um, you know, the HBR only has three authors on it, but we had quite a few on the actual academic publication uh, in the Journal of Applied Psychology. We had uh, originally 10 different studies. It ended up being about 20 during the review and revision process. We had several other um, studies and samples we had to collect, but we, we looked at working adults. I mean, from uh, a large car auto manufacturer, um, uh, you know, on the site to online samples through uh, Mechanical Turk, which is an Amazon platform, 
Um, but it was thousands of employees um, yeah. and measuring how much they liked their, their supervisors. And what we did is we took old studies uh, on leadership and we replicated them, right? So we wanted to do exactly what the original authors had done and where they had shown transformational leadership is so important to employee well-being. What we did is we added in our measure of leader liking and we showed that that leader liking was actually a better predictor of all these outcomes than just that leadership style itself. Mm, okay. So being liked, you found from you know multiple studies was the driving force behind your leadership rating. But to test your suspicion, you then developed your own questionnaire. Tell us about that. Yes, that's right. So we have uh, the leadership affect questionnaire, which is our measure of leader liking. Um, and we actually, we actually use that LAQ in the initial studies. We had developed a measure over time um, to put into those studies. And so our LAQ is a five item measure that subordinates can take um, to measure how much they like their leaders. And we actually have a negative LAQ too, which is how much you dislike, you dislike. your leader. Um, but we, we focused really on the actual liking of the leader more than anything. Um, and so that measure is something that we can now use across the board, and we recommend that other researchers do this to find out um, how much their subordinates actually like them. Like, are, what are they doing um, that may instill positive feelings in their subordinates? Yeah, yeah. So I thought it would be cool, Charin, to actually do this live on this recording to have our listeners actually rate their supervisors, managers, leaders, uh, using the scale that you develop, the LAQ, right? This short five-term questionnaire. So I'm going to go over the scale and I'm going to explain a little bit. So if you're right now, as you're listening, um, listen to the, the questions that Charn is going to go over and he'll explain each of those. But the scale is like this. From one to seven, one is you strongly disagree to seven, you strongly agree. Okay, that's the scale. One, strongly disagree, all the way to seven, strongly agree. And then, Sharni, when you're going over the five questions, just explain how, you know, the, the score and how they, they need to divide that, et cetera, et cetera, and the average. So you want to walk us through the five questions? Yeah, absolutely. So the LAQ measure begins with, one, I feel positively about my supervisor. So as Marcel said, just on a scale of one to seven, rate how positively you feel about your supervisor. The second question is, I like my supervisor. Third question, I like to work with my supervisor. Four, I value the relationship I have with my supervisor. And five, I have been happy with my supervisor. So when you go through these, again, you're rating yourself one being the lowest, seven being the highest. You total that score that you've just created, right? So if you had all ones, you'd have a total score of five. And then you're going to divide that total number by five. The score you come up with will be your average across the board. And what we found across all of our thousands of respondents, the average was 5.2 out of seven. And that seemed to be the average likability of supervisors across our samples. Okay, so any score above 5.2 then suggests that you like your leader more than the average employee. Yeah, I think that's correct. I did my five questions based on the last supervisor I had, which was an executive. I reported to an executive. And oh my goodness, my score came out to 2.4, Charn. Yeah, not good. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say to those people that just did this exercise and they came out with uh, 
scores below 5.2, maybe even around hovering around where I was, around two to three. What what should we be concerned about here? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, first, uh, in your case where it's been a while since you had that supervisor, uh, as you've probably assumed leadership roles since then, um, you think about what they did uh, that would lead to such a low score and how you can correct those in your own leadership style, right? Because I think that's one of the things that we learn the most uh, from bad leaders is what not to do. And I think that is often more like a trite expression, but we should take it more seriously. I mean, I've often written down things that prior leaders I've had really bothered me so I can bring that with me into the future uh, and not repeat those mistakes. But if you're currently working for one of those leaders, it's a dicey road. And I, you know, I, I do study organizational politics, so you have to be careful here. You can't walk up to your leader and say, hey, look, you're not likable and here's why. Uh, that may not end as well. But there may be opportunities for feedback. And a lot of these leaders, in my opinion, don't understand or don't fully recognize what they're doing or failing to do. And if you can find a way to offer them feedback that will help improve themselves as leaders, you might find a soft way to do that. And it can actually kind of get them a little bit more on the right path. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that brings me to the practical aspects of being a likable leader. So what, what does that look like in real life? I mean, can Leaders just decide to just wake up one day and, quote, be likable? Yeah, this is my, my favorite part of the research. I, you know, a lot of people ask me this question, how can someone just become likable? Um, I think everyone can be likable. I say this having had many unlikable bosses. Um, I do think it's somewhat of a choice, though, and I'll put it this way. I think likability is a very low standard uh, for anyone, and particularly for leaders. I mean, think about it. When you choose a life partner and you go to the altar, you don't make a promise to say, oh, I found you very likable. You know, you love this person, right? Likeability is a low, low standard. Um, we all know how to do it since kindergarten, right? We treat people with respect. We treat them as we would want to be treated. And I think sometimes leaders forget that principle is that it's not just about them having this power and being able to do what they would like to do, but rather realizing that every single person they work for is in fact a person with hopes, with dreams, with a family, and recognizing they're not just a subordinate. They are a person, they have a name, um, and they have all these other things that go along with it. And that's how we become more likable, by treating people with respect and treating them as people. Mm, yeah, and so besides respect, you mentioned uh, you know the golden rule, treat others as you want, as you want to be treated. Did you find any other really relevant traits that, uh, that are especially needed in, in today's workplace, you know, down in the trenches, dealing with employees in the heavy collaboration uh, environments. Are there any of those traits that you saw pop up that leaders should focus on for becoming more likable? I think in this research, we did not find those, uh, those different traits pop up, but particularly mm -hmm. because this was uncharted territory and we were very focused uh, in, our, in our search. Okay. I would say that the, the leadership research and the research as a whole is going to empathy. Um, you've seen the, the United States Army recently added humility as a value, um, which is, I think, a long time coming. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're starting to see this emphasis on these softer skills, and I think that's really where everything's going now. Um, we are starting to step away from this idea that it has to be that hard-nosed leadership where it's just based on controlling your subordinates and instead forming relationships with them. And again, I think that just speaks to this idea of likability. If all you are is a transaction between you and your subordinates, that's all that relationship will ever become. When you actually create 
care for each other and understanding between the two, that's how you become likable. We don't want to like that faceless boss. We want to like the person who we know and understand and they understand us in return. Yeah. Charn, it thrills me to know that the military is moving in the direction of soft skills development and recognizing the importance of things like you said, like empathy and humility. It's a long time coming. I agree. I was very excited to see that humility was being added as a leadership value, one of their core values. I think they define it very simply as the absence of arrogance. um, And I like that. I think the military, particularly in aviation, there's a lot of arrogance and ego, I think sometimes uh, thought to be required or needed. Um, But I always kind of pushed against that. In my own personal way, um, I didn't think that was necessary. And I like that we have this hopefully oncoming emphasis on caring about others not focusing on just, I have to be the best and not just that, but seen as the best. And it's going to create better relationships between, you know, soldiers and their officers and, and leaders and subordinates across the, the country, hopefully. I love it. And we know that already the research has proven that in a corporate sense that works well for achieving high performance. I always say that I borrowed this from author uh, Tom Peters, you know, soft skills is the new hard skills. Mm-hmm. Because it's all, it's so hard for people sometimes to be able to adapt to be more empathetic, be more humble. I mean, 10 years ago, these things were foreign concepts in a hard, bottom-line driven society that we're in. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm thrilled to death to, to know that. So, now, some people may be getting the wrong impression, Charn, that you now have to go out there and win the approval of your subordinates. And, you know, you got to now prioritize being liked over getting the job done, maybe even over the mission or the goals, et cetera. But that's not what you're saying at all, is it? Yeah, that's the most common critique. Harvard Business Review allows for comments uh, on the articles. And that was one of the first comments we received. But this is exactly what's wrong uh, with this new style of leadership is that we're focused so much on being liked, not getting the job done. I would argue, uh, as I've tried to live my life as a leader, was that they're, they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, in fact, I think you know leadership is a tightrope. It is so hard to walk, right? If we decide that we're only going to focus on mission accomplishment or on the objective, I think it becomes a lot easier to be a leader because you just tell people what to do and you can always meet that bare minimum requirement. But when we move on to that next phase of treating people well, right, treating them with respect and you know, that, that actually means making some, sometimes making concessions. Someone might have a soccer game that their kid really needs to get to. Those things make it harder to accomplish the mission in many ways. But a good leader will walk that tightrope and get more out of their employees because of it. Like you said, those soft skills are the new hard skills. It's hard to manage and it puts you in a difficult position because you have created relationships with your subordinates. And you now feel an obligation to them mm-hmm. to treat them well. At the same time, though, they now have an obligation to you to do their job more than just the basic task, but to do a good job of it. I think that's what is being missed in this is that by creating these relationships and becoming likable, I think you're increasing the performance of the entire team. And our research would show that regardless of what leadership style you use, likability ended up being a better predictor of that. Fantastic. So here we are, Charn, in a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of fear and uncertainty going on in, um, you know, especially with uh, companies, employees not knowing a lot of people are out of work, etc. So let's contextualize this into the circumstances that we're in now. What can leaders do to help their employees and followers? Sure. I'm going to 
beat that drum again and again about treating them with respect. And I, I don't mean to be repetitive, but you brought up something earlier that I think is key, which is, you know, 10 years ago, people weren't thinking about these soft skills. I would argue that we have an entire history of the world where we weren't thinking about these softer concepts, mm. right? And so the archetype of a leader, especially a leader in crisis, is one who is that strong voice that is calm, that is controlling and makes sure everyone feels safe. I would argue that that's a really hard archetype for many leaders, especially young or junior leaders to live up to. I think people can feel just as safe and just as taken care of if we create these relationships with them. Let them know that we're thinking about them. If, if your employees are being laid off for a period of time because you're in the service industry or in the airline industry, whatever it is, have those conversations with your subordinates. Don't just fire them, lay them off have a conversation about what the next steps are, right? These are difficult conversations to have with people. When you look someone eye to eye and say, look, I'm laying you off. Here's what we're going to do. That's much better than just saying you're laid off. We'll let you know what happens next. It's a different feeling in from the subordinate, but it's also a lot harder for that leader to have a conversation with someone they are laying off. And oftentimes as leaders, we we basically let off of that responsibility because it's easier for us. Let's take that step forward and have conversations with them and let people know that they're being cared for and thought about because that's what they need to know is that they're not just being, you know, left on the side of the road. They are still in our thoughts and minds and we are going to try to make this and make their careers come back after this crisis is over. Yeah. Yeah. This would be the wrong time to sleep as they say things under the rug, but come out with radical honesty about yep. what's going on, even if it's bad news, but also be there to let them know that you are backing them up. You are supporting them along the, along the way until this thing is over. Absolutely. And I think that's the key. It's again, it's about forming relationships and it's hard to just, if you are that leader right now who is always led through control and always led through just directives, it's hard to make that switch now we make small changes along the way. You know, I had a leader at one point who came into my, I had a squadron, which is the size of a battalion. And he knew, and this is honest to God, knew every soldier's name and knew their children's names. I, I don't know how I'd heard about this and I didn't believe it. Um, and yet uh, he walked up to me and a group of uh, soldiers and he knew all of our, our, our spouse's names and our children's names. And he had obviously taken the time to do this. And, at first, I thought it was a party trick in a way um, to be able to do that. But then I realized, like, after he left and listening to the soldiers, how impressed they were because no lieutenant colonel had ever known their children's names before, right? Mm. And it showed that on his first day on the job, he was committed to knowing the individuals and knowing the people in the, his organization. Small steps, right? Start now with understanding that your, your subordinates have two or three kids. And what are their names? Because... When you're laying them off, if you know that, it's going to give you a little bit more of that relationship and that connection to them to want to bring them back, right? Yeah. And it's important. If someone asks you, hey, how's, how's Tom doing today or how's Jill doing today, that, that matters when someone knows your kids' names. Those are the little things that we do. It doesn't make you any less of a leader or any less mission-focused. It makes you more people-focused, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I love that, Charn. To lead is human. Exactly. And to be human is you have to have relationships. Oh, wow. Okay, we have this tradition here where we juxtapose principles of, uh, of, of leadership love and, and love in action, really, against what, what I feel is its counterpart, which is fear. Yeah. And, and so here we are in 2020, 
And fear is still prevalent in how organizations and businesses are managed. But in my line of work, I keep finding evidence running into people like you and your research that the principles and behaviors of love and care and empathy and compassion can lead to high performance and business outcomes. So, so here are my questions. Why do you think people lead through fear and control? It's easy. I'll tell you, I mean, I think that's just the, the, it's easy, right? I mean, if you're being bestowed with some kind of formal power from your organization, you exercise that power. And again, I think you get that baseline accomplishment done. It's the standard that we've used for millennia. Um, it's just the archetype that is considered the effective or at least masculine leader in many ways. Um, and I think, again, I just, I can't go back more than it's just, it's easy to lead through fear, right? I mean, it really isn't that hard because people can't question you because you're the leader. Um, and I think that's, that's the, the biggest shame about the whole thing because we're missing so many great opportunities to really maximize potential of our sport. And I'm not talking about squeezing the potential out of them. I'm talking about like unlocking their potential because Every, I mean, I feel everyone wants to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves, right? And if we're just being controlled through fear, we don't feel that way, right? But if we feel we're contributing to something, man, that is that is something that really, that's what gets you up in the morning, right? Your first question of the day, we want to give someone that sense of purpose. And when I talk with students in the classroom, they want to have a purpose. A lot of them are, you know, there are always a few that want, that want money as a purpose. But I would say right now about 75 to 85% of my students want a purpose in their life and we can leaders can help give that yeah and you know as as i i ask these questions to really raise the awareness so this is totally educational because there are a lot of people that lead through fear but they they may not know it uh it's it's just not in in they're not self-aware enough to know that leading through fear and control is negatively impacting their workers so i want to talk a little bit about what leading through fear does in, in, in how does it affect relationships with those you lead? Because it's not really good for business. Yeah. I mean, so I'll go back again to this idea that, you know, every, a lot of people have heard that adage. When you go into a new organization, you want to go in harder, right? You want to go in hard and then you relax the standards. Don't go in with lax standards and then tighten them up. People don't like to have that order of things. I think that's exactly what we're talking about here, but we look at it the wrong way. We're talking about, well, we don't want to have to add standards. And in fact, Going in hard is the same day, same idea as controlling uh, or leading through controlling, right? Um, it's easier. That's why you go in that way. You go in tough nose because it's easier to start that way. It's harder to start from the, the position of forming relationships. If we don't ever move to that point, though, where we form relationships, we're kind of stuck in that, hey, I'm the leader. You're going to do X, Y, and Z. If we form relationships, we find out that Marcel is really good at this skill set and that you know Janelle is really good at that skill set, and we can then start maximizing their abilities, right? More importantly, we only have a short, I mean, this is, this is not research-based, this is me, but we have a short time on earth, right? And yeah. let's create relationships with each other. You spend a lot of time with the people at work, right? I mean, a lot of us probably spend more time at work than we do at home. So why not create relationships with these individuals? Just because you're a leader doesn't mean that you have to be respected any less by forming relationships with people. And I think that's one of the key ideas that really starts that question of, well, aren't you saying we just sacrificed the mission? Because leaders of yesteryear are not used to creating close relationships with their subordinates. Now, look, in the military, I was very much, you know, look, you keep a separation between you and your subordinates. I think that's important to a certain extent. Um, but what we see in today's society is we're getting closer, right? There's nothing wrong um, in many situations with 
being on first name basis, you know, which was not the, not the, the, the standard, you know, 10, 20, 30, definitely longer than that. Um, we can start having these relationships where we know each other, we share things about each other. And that doesn't mean that we're respected any less as a leader, but in many ways we might be respected more. Yeah, I always like to reference the uh, the research of Carol Dweck, who says that, you know, the fixed mindset versus growth mindset. And I believe that we have been stuck in this fixed mindset where we see fear working. And you know what? It does work in the short term, but it's not sustainable. Absolutely. Uh, and I have seen and I've worked with, I have I've had many clients that have led through fear and micromanagement and control. And they say, yeah, it works for me because my team marches to the beat of my drum and they do what I tell them to do. And they say, because if I didn't, we would fail. And I say, well, what's your turnover? Because I, I know the numbers because I usually do exit, re, exit interview reports and I do assessments and find out how people are really feeling. And some of these environments are just burn and churn environments where the turnover is so high and the employee engagement is so low. So it's not sustainable. It's it's it may work in the short term, uh, you know, to get those quarterly numbers. But if you're going through seasons and cycles of uh, tr- of what a what, what a true culture looks like, you're going to have to think about the long term and not just the short term. Um, so I I love where this is going, and I just love the the research that you're doing. So is there a one step or a first step that we can go from fear? control, micromanagement that, that sucks the soul out of people to a culture of love and care and compassion. Is there a first step to flipping the switch? Well, what would you say to that? I think if you're the leader, if you find that your subordinates will, will be rating you as a one or a two on the LAQ, I think it would be odd if you just started creating relationships with them mm-hmm. um, right off the bat. I think they would be skeptical and maybe a little bit um, reserved and worried about what's going on. So I would say the safest bet is to do what I think is the most humble thing. Ask for feedback. Um, mm-hmm. You can do it anonymously, depending on how you think people will respond to it. Um, I'm a huge fan of feedback in general. I think if we could just ask our subordinates, hey, what do you want from me? What do you want from this organization? And then start making small changes. But I think asking others in many ways, I think when a leader asks, what can I do better? They're asking for help. And that's a very humble thing to do. Yeah. And I think if a leader is willing to accept that feedback, and I always add that caveat, if you're going to ask for feedback, you have to take action on it. doesn't mean you have to listen to everything they say in terms of you know, correcting every, every problem they have, but you should address that and say, look, I understand some people have a concern with this. We're not going to fix that right now because of this, right? But if you ask for feedback, make sure you follow up on it. But that would be my first step. If you are that leader, do the humble thing, ask for help, and start from, you know, you're, you can't really start from scratch, but start from zero and try to build relationships from there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm going to bring this full circle. And that's the hump that most hard nosed, top down kind of leaders have to go over is yes. to realize the impact of respect and humility. Because what the things that you just said, I mean, being able to, to, to get feedback that is going to be feedback you don't want to hear is a really hard, hard thing to do. And, and so many hard-nosed leaders don't want to do that because they're afraid of what the reaction is going to be or what the response is. Uh, but uh, but the, the brighter side, uh, if you look at the, the, the long-term potential, like I said, is that when you do 
put yourself in a in a position of 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 being humble and uh and listen to the um the opinion of those that you value the most your team members your subordinates etc is going to create t- trust it's going to create trust long term if people are if people can see that you are willing to kind of expose yourself to listening to a whole set of ears around the room to in order to better your own performance as a leader my goodness what's that going to do for engaging your employees at a higher level what's that going to do for um, getting them to perform at a higher level. I mean, that's the thing, right? We, I think when we lead through fear, and like you said, the great outcome of that is micromanagement. You tell a subordinate to do X, they're going to do X and nothing more. When we create these relationships, you're going to ask them to give a task or you're going to ask them to complete a task. They're going to complete everything they can think of that's required for it. They're not just going to do X because you're going to trust them. They're going to have this relationship. They're going to feel committed to you and to your success just as you are to theirs. And there's no more need to micromanage. And I think the other part of it is you are each going to become a part of uh, your each other's lives in a way. Uh, from my own personal experiences, you know, I had the opportunity uh, being in the military to be slightly older uh, than some of my soldiers who were 17, 18 years old. Uh, I had one who was at my base who had no family there, was going for an appendectomy. And uh, he had never been to surgery before. The guy was, you know, nervous as anything. And I was able to go in with uh, his platoon sergeant and we were there at the hospital with him, right? And I think those are really neat experiences that we share together. And that was a moment that brought us closer together. And when we were eventually deployed to combat together, I think we had a closer bond because of that. And when he was having a difficult time, he came to me, which I think was unique for, he was a private at the time to come to his platoon leader um, and, and talk about these things. And I think those kind of relationships we build open up a whole new world of possibilities um, for our own personal development and growth. And you know those people are going to be giving their best because they're committed to something more than just, let me get this task done so so so-and-so doesn't bother me. I'm committed to doing a good job for this organization or for my leader as a whole. And I think that's what we're talking about unlocking here. Yes. And thank you so much for that. And this is the reason we have these conversations on the Love and Ashley podcast to raise the awareness of the principles that we have been talking about. Charn, we bring it home with two questions, which is tradition here. Personally, what is really tugging at your heart right now that you would like our listeners to know? You know, I think with the coronavirus, um, there are so many people, I mean, I guess, again, to bring it back home to, uh, or bring it full circle, this idea that everyone has hopes, dreams, family, and they're all different. And so, we have a lot of generational divides, I think, going on here. You have millennials who've graduated into a recession are now going through a second recession within the first few years, um, and they're, they're nervous and scared. You have um, you know, boomers and um, individuals who are in the high-risk category who they can't turn on the TV, TV without hearing. Most people will be fine, but there's this high-risk category, and we have to understand that everyone has some kind of fear that they're going through. I have a three-year-old, and it's just like, well, what am I going to do for the next six to eight weeks? Um, and I think everyone has these fears and everyone values their fears the most. This is a good time to start realizing that we're all people. We all have these battles and struggles that we're going through. And, uh, it would be great if we could all just have some empathy for everyone else. Right. Cause there's a lot, I, you know, as much as there's coming together on things like Facebook and social media, there's a lot of divisiveness as well. Yeah. And if we would just recognize that we're all going through different but all equally valid struggles uh it would be helpful thank you for that and you bring it home with one final takeaway that we can 
take with us and that's going to make our difference in our lives? What, what was that one thing you'd like to share? Treat people with respect. I, I tell my students on the first day of my organizational behavior and my leadership class, if you can learn to treat other people with respect, to treat them like people, you're 90% of the way to being a good leader because there are so many people who aren't doing that. So let's focus on respect first. Um, and if we can do that, you're going you're gonna to get a lot out of your employees and create these great relationships. Yes, yes. Charn, if people want to connect with you, how can they do that? Where do they go? Sure. Uh, I have a LinkedIn page. Uh, it's Charn McAllister. And then I have an email, uh, just Professor McAllister, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, please feel free to email. Uh, we have a book. My, my co-authors and I have a book coming out uh, in May on political skill at work. And that'll be available, like I said, probably uh, May 21st or so. Thank you so much for your time. I love what you're doing and what you're contributing to society with your work and your research. Best of luck to you. Hey, thank you very much, Marcel. I really appreciate it. You know, it always reassures me whenever I speak with scholars doing important research that informs the, the practical aspects of leadership. And here's the reassuring part straight from Charn. We're starting to see an emphasis on the softer skills. And in his own words, Charn says, this is where everything is going now. He's on top of the research. He sees this. Listen, the whole reason why we do this every week here on Love in Action is because we are in a soft skills economy, especially now with the spread of the virus. You have to respond with empathy, kindness, respect, flexibility, and meet people's needs where they're at. Those are the leaders that are going to rise up in the face of crisis. And heck, you know things are looking up when the United States Army adds humility as a value for how they operate. And like Charn says, that's a long time coming. If we could only now ingrain that into the psyche of our country's politicians, we would see a drastic shift in leadership effectiveness at the highest levels of our country. Okay, so that's as political as I'm going to get on this show. Thanks for listening, Love and Action Nation. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It is my honor and pleasure to bring the love to empower your leadership and your business. Next week, I sit down and chat with the one and only Michael Hyatt to talk about his new book, The Vision Driven Leader. Till then, don't forget, love in action. It's what will truly set your leadership apart. The choice is yours. Hey, Love and Action Nation. If you're enjoying the format of the show and the topics we talk about, and you want to bring this conversation to your company event or conference, I would love to explore the possibilities. Whether it's speaking or moderating a live discussion or a Q&A panel, or even producing a series of podcasts before and after your event, let's talk. You can reach me by email personally at marcel at loveinaction.club. That's Marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L, at loveinaction.club.